The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good morning, church. How are we? That's good. Thank you for responding. So, uh, yeah, it's an honour and a privilege to speak from God's Word this morning um, as we work through our Summer of Psalms series. Um, today we're looking at Psalm 51, which Jimmy just read through, um, and it's a psalm about forgiveness. This psalm was written by King David following the events of 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And these events include just a few light things. Uh, so David's adultery with Bathsheba, which led to Bathsheba falling pregnant. And then David's murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, in an attempt to cover up his sin. Nathan the prophet then rebuked David of his sin, which led to the writing of this psalm. This psalm details David's appeal for God's mercy now that he has become aware of his own sin. David comes to God with a contrite heart and asks God to cleanse and restore him. This wonderful psalm points us to our God's mercy and the grace he lavishes on us when we come to him with a contrite heart. As we work through the passage, we'll be looking at three main points here in the text. Firstly, we'll look at what it means to recognise our own sin. David came to God seeking his mercy because he was aware of the sins he committed. Secondly, we'll look at what it means to come to God with a contrite heart. David came to God with a contrite heart, seeking cleansing, renewal, and restoration. And finally, we will look at what God's forgiveness means for us. Like David, we too will sin and fall short. And we have a God who is merciful and full of grace when we come to him seeking forgiveness. Before we get into the text, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a loving and gracious God. As we read from your word, we ask that you would reveal your truth to us. I ask that your message be spoken today, none of my words, but yours alone, dear God. Reveal to us more about your goodness and grace this morning. Amen. So today is the final day of 2023. We made it, um, which is great. Um, I, for one, am an all-or-nothing type of person. Uh, And so as we approach a new year, I am guilty with setting myself lofty and unrealistic goals, such as exercising every day for 30 minutes minimum, reading my Bible and praying every day for an hour minimum, and eating healthy food exclusively. (laughs) Now, If I miss a day, I often get down on myself and I throw in the towel. As you would expect, this normally only takes a few days um, before my New Year's resolutions have been totally abandoned. Just ask my wife, as I'm sure she can attest to this (laughs) year on year. Um, I think that uh, we can often approach our faith and relationship with God in this same manner. We want to see instant change and fast growth. But as we move into 2024, it is important to remember that we are a work in progress. While we are on this earth, our God is working within us to sanctify us and to make us more like Christ. We will sin, we will mess up, we will do things that we didn't mean to or that we are ashamed of. Yet we have a God who is merciful, who is forgiving and whose love and grace abounds. Today we are looking at our own sin how we can recognize this in our lives, how we should bring this to God, and how He will forgive. 
With this knowledge and understanding, I believe we can enter 2024 with freedom and joy, knowing that when we inevitably sin, we have a God who will forgive and who will take away our guilt and shame. So let's get stuck in to the text. In this first section, verses 1 and 2, we see David approach God, seeking his mercy and forgiveness for the sins committed against Bathsheba and Uriah. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David is only now approaching God because he has become aware of the sin. Reading from verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. He is now face to face with his sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, God sent Nathan, the prophet, to reveal this sin in David's life, of which he was previously blind to. Nathan tells David a story about a rich man who steals from a poor man, taking from him his prized possession. David is outraged and suggests that this rich man should be killed for what he's done. Nathan then reveals the true meaning of this story, that David is the rich man who took Bathsheba from her husband. God gave David all he could ever want or need, and yet David murdered Uriah and took his wife as his own. In this chapter of 2 Samuel, David acknowledges his wrongdoing and admits that he has sinned against God. We also see similar terminology in verse 4 of this psalm. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. It is curious that David mentions his sin against God, not against Bathsheba and Uriah, whose lives have been permanently altered by David's wrongdoings. Sin is extremely damaging. I'm sure that there's not a single one of us here who has not been affected by another person's sin. We can see the lasting effects of this in broken marriages, family members who no longer speak, and church families who have fallen out with one another and now meet separately or have walked away from the faith altogether. Sin is brutal, damaging and life-altering to those on the receiving end. And while this is true, it is also true that every time we sin, our sin is ultimately against God. So imagine that you were swimming down at the beach by yourself and you found a diamond ring in the water. No one else was around, no one else was out looking for it. Perhaps it was from a failed marriage or a Bosch proposal and the owner just tossed it into the sea. Things are tight at the moment and so you decide to sell the ring for a few thousand dollars and you spend the money on food and clothes, things you need, and life goes on. A few years later, you meet a lady who is new to church. You get chatting and you find out that her husband has recently passed away and that she has nothing. She's poor and has few possessions and she's just broken by the loss of her husband. You continue to get to know her and one day she tells you a story about a disappointing moment when she was swimming at the beach with her husband. She lost her ring in the surf. And you put two two and two together and soon enough you realise that this is the exact same ring that you found and had sold for cash years before. This poor, sad widow's ring. Now, I know this example may be a little far-fetched, But isn't it interesting that the effects of our sin feels worse the more innocent the victim is? 
While you told yourself that the ring had belonged to someone who didn't want it, the effect of your ring, uh, effect of your ring, the effect of your sin felt minor. However, once you knew that the ring belonged to the poor, sad widow who still longed for that ring, the sin felt unbearable. Yet either way, we're speaking about the exact same sin. God is the most innocent, the most righteous, the most blameless, and the most holy. Sin is an assault on God's goodness and on His grace. Sin is serious. So serious that the only solution was for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We need to understand that no matter what excuse we put forward to make ourselves feel better or justified, our sin is still sin. And it is against the one who loves us and gives us life. Now, not only are we good at minimizing our sin, but we are also quite skilled at masking it altogether. Our sinful nature has meant that we are often blind to the sin in our own life. How are we meant to deal with the sin that we cannot see? There is only one answer to this, and it is, what we, is that we need conviction from God to help us recognize where we have sinned so that we can seek His forgiveness. God works His conviction in our lives through His Word, through our own conscience, or via a brother or sister in Christ, like Nathan, whom God sent to help David recognize his sin. As Christians, we're actually called to address the sin in one another's lives. I acknowledge that this sounds scary. I'll be the first one to admit that helping a brother or sister in Christ to correct their sin is the last thing I want to do. (laughs) I know how sinful I am, and I certainly don't want to be a hypocrite. This whole concept goes against our nature. We naturally want to keep it to ourselves, our sins included. However, God instructs us in His Word to acknowledge something in a believer's life which does not line up with their confession in Christ. Reading from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15, where Jesus is addressing His disciples. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But what about that piece of scripture that talks about the speck in the log, I hear you ask. Because we have sin in our own lives, shouldn't we just focus on that? Let's listen again to Jesus' words, now in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think I've often missed the last sentence of this passage. Let's just read that again. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Having a log in our own eye is not an excuse to avoid helping our brothers and sisters in becoming more like Christ. Jesus calls us to remove the log, to deal with our own sin by recognizing it, bringing it to God, and seeking His forgiveness. And then we can help those around us to deal with their sin too. Now, I'm not suggesting that after the service, we should all run around and point out each other's failures and, 
and flaws. Uh, if that's what you take away from this sermon, then I fear Jimmy will not let me back up here again. Uh, this might be it. Um, so, how should we do this? So, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2 gives us a great image of that. And it just says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to approach one another's sins carefully, and with as much love, grace, and patience as we have been shown by our Heavenly Father. We are not called to judge one another, but to love one another and to steer them to Christ. This won't be easy. It won't be a walk in the park. It will be difficult. But do we love each other enough to do what we have been instructed to do? Do we love each other enough to wade into the uncomfortable mess of each other's sins? And do we love each other enough to humbly and graciously receive correction? And so why do we need to recognize our own sin? We need to recognize our own sin so that we can bring it before our Savior, seeking His forgiveness, and then we can help those around us to do the same. God will then use this process of correction to mould and shape us, to grow us in righteousness day by day. We need to be praying to God, praying that He would reveal the sin in our lives so that we can seek His forgiveness and grow in righteousness. God may convict us and challenge us through His Word with our own thoughts, or He may encourage someone to lovingly and graciously come alongside us to help us recognize our sin. We just need to make sure that we are ready to humbly receive God's correction so we can continue to be molded and shaped by our Creator. Let's now move on to our second point in the passage. What it means to come to God with a contrite heart. In this psalm, we can see David seeking the cleansing, renewal and restoration which can only be found from God. Verses 7 to 12 read, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a spirit, right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We can see here that David is yearning for God to wash him clean of his sins. You can hear a man who has felt distant from God as a result of his sin and who knows that there is only one who can make him clean again. What a beautiful image this is. Does our sin leave us yearning for God to wash us clean, to restore us? How does this process take place? At this time in the Old Testament, the process of cleansing, renewal, and restoration took place by way of a sacrifice. Let's read from verses 16 and 17 of the text. David says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. 
David was aware of the sins he had committed against God. And more than just providing a sacrifice to atone for his sins, David recognized that God wanted to see a contrite heart within him. To better understand what a contrite heart means, we can look at other occasions where the Hebrew word for contrite appeared in the Bible. It appeared five times, and these were all in the Psalms. And other translations of the word include both the word broken and crushed. If we look at this verse again, we can see that David is saying that God wants us to come to him with a broken, crushed, and contrite heart. He wants us to understand the seriousness and the weight of our sin. And he wants us to come to him having been crushed and broken by this. God doesn't just want us to half-heartedly seek forgiveness and go on willfully sinning. He wants us to come to him with a heart that despises our sin, a heart that wants change and is fighting against its sinful desires. Now, God wants us to come to this point in our lives, a point where we truly despise our sin. If you feel this way about your sin, then glory be to God. Don't ignore this or try to make peace with this. The hatred of our sin is truly a gift from God. Remember what I said earlier about wanting instant change and fast growth. We aren't all going to wake up tomorrow despising our sin. This is a lifelong process, as God works in our hearts to change our desires from sinfulness to righteousness. We are a work in progress. We need to take our eyes off ourselves and place them onto Jesus and He will work in our hearts to complete His sanctifying work. And this leads us to God's forgiveness. The good news of this story. When we come to God, having recognised our sin, and with a contrite heart, being crushed and broken by our sin, He will forgive us. And in fact, if you are a Christian, He already has forgiven you through what happened on the cross long ago. Now, this is the beauty of this psalm. We can read it in light of the gospel message, with full knowledge of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, which took place long after this psalm was written. We have a merciful God who knows us. He knows our weaknesses, our failures, and yet He still loves us. He knows we could not save ourselves, and so He provided the only solution to our serious sin problem, Jesus. He sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners and Jesus took on the full weight of our sin. He did this for us, for you and me. If you are a Christian, you are forgiven for all your sins, including those you are yet to commit. If you are not a Christian, this could be true about you too. But not until you place your faith in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, just because we are forgiven for all our sins, including those we are yet to commit, doesn't mean we have a free pass to go wild. This doesn't mean we should take God's grace for granted and go on willfully sinning. If we have truly been crushed and broken by our sin, then we should desire change. And yes, we will still sin. We will still mess up and we will still do things we didn't mean to or that we're ashamed of. However, through His Holy Spirit, God will transform our hearts and minds. He will change our desires as we increase in righteousness, as He continues to sanctify us day by day. 
As we enter 2024, we need to be in God's Word and in communion with Him daily. If you are unsatisfied with the rate of sanctification in your heart, that is a good desire. Continue to trust God. Lean into Him and He will work within you to grow your hatred in your sin. Or for your sin, sorry. We are called to fight against our sinful nature. We are called to run the race. And this will not be easy. It will be a lifelong battle. But know that the war has been won by Christ. And in Him, we are forgiven. Now, how should we respond to this good news? As David said in verses 13 to 15 of this psalm, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. We should respond by sharing the good news with others. All those who are yet to hear and receive the gospel they are still living in ignorance, filled with the guilt and shame of their sin, or perhaps even living totally unaware of their sin. God calls us to be His light in this world, and we need to follow this calling faithfully in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we are. This good news should change us. Our Saviour's death on the cross for our sin should cause our tongues to sing aloud of His righteousness and to declare His praises. So let's do this together this morning as we take communion and sing the final song. Let's sing of his righteousness and declare his praise to one another this morning. And this year, let's pray that God will help us to recognize the sin in our lives. Let's bring this sin before God with a contrite heart and let's remember that you are forgiven. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sin, for you and me. If we believe Jesus' saving grace to be true, that he died for us so we could be right with God, then we no longer need to live with the guilt and shame of our sin. God has broken sin's hold on us by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us. We are now free from sin's shackles so we can live our fullest life in him. Let's now worship and praise him for this good news, for the mercy and grace poured out for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.